Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel Podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. So we're in this series where we're looking at the big picture of the Bible. So this amazing book written over thousands of years of human history, uh, written by different authors, but one brilliant designer behind it all is God. And this book has impacted more cultures. It has been more read, more published, translated into, it's still being translated, even into pockets of people who, who like very few of them speak the language because it, it is this life-giving um, revelatory nature. And so what we're doing is we're kind of looking at these big pockets, these big meta themes that move throughout scriptures. And we're going to enter into the next four weeks. We're going to talk about elements, elements. So somebody said elephants. No, no, not elephants. Elements. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at earth, earth. And I was just shocked as I began to study this subject about how integral uh, the concept of earth and ground, um, the planet are throughout the Bible. And we're literally going to go from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible because it's just found throughout there. So I just want to show you a picture just so that we can like start to think this way. This sphere that we live on known as planet earth that has incredible beauty, incredible, but also has plagues and famine, storms that destroy, but sunsets and sunrises that inspire awe and peace, filled with several billion human beings and billions of other life forms from insects to fish, to birds, to mammals, to really odd ones like the duckbill platypus, which is a little bit of everything. And the biblical worldview says that God created this thing very purposefully. And after each step of the creation process, he says, it is good, this master artistic, catalytic God who speaks, interestingly enough, in Genesis 1, he speaks things into existence. So he doesn't take some of his substance, but he, through the power of words, the power of life, he speaks things into existence and says, it's good. It's good. So let's talk a little bit about the earth, the ground, and what can we understand about God and ourselves in the future um, throughout the scriptures. Here's point number one. Point number one is simply this. Our origins are from the dust, from the dust. So there's two creation narratives. Chapter one lists systematically a seven step process of creation. And then chapter two is a little bit different. It's a form of poetry. About one third of the Hebrew Old Testament is written in poetry. And so the author pens this poem 
and he's talking about the process and what God is doing. And this is what we read. We read that our origins are with the dust, that we're tied to it. Let's read together Genesis chapter two. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Just want to pause there for a moment. So dust, one of the most basic elements you'll find is earth, the ground, and God sculptures, creates humanity. And then this is very important in Hebrew philosophy that he breathes into his nostrils, the breath, the Hebrew word here is radah, and it is also the word for spirit. So breath, wind, spirit are all the same in the Hebrew language. And so the ancient Hebrews believe this, what differentiates you from your labradoodle is the breath of God. The Latin term that we've been using for centuries is the imago Dei, made in the image of God. And it's this animation that, sure, Adam and Eve are biological entities, but it's this impartation of something that God has, his rada, right? His ruha into them that creates life. And so right away we realize, okay, okay, animal life is spectacular, but there's something unique about human beings. There's something sacred about them. They're breathed into, and the man became a living being. So our origins have to do with the dust, which is fascinating because it means that I'm tied to this planet. It means I'm made of the same substance as everything around me, but the one differentiation is this breath of life that God has breathed into us. So dust, by the way, the Bible, we won't cover this necessarily, but we're made from dust. Our next point, we're gonna return to the dust. And then the book of Thessalonians, I love this. says those who are in Christ will be resurrected from the dust. Right, so there's this ongoing relationship and all of us, like it's our, it's our destiny until this wild, beautiful hope that Christianity has of the return of Jesus, that we'll return to dust. So what do we do in the meantime, right? We're integrated, we're involved, we're made of the same substance, but we have this unique thing called the breath of God and it pulsates through us and makes us different. So that brings us to the second thought. Well, let me show you this picture first, because I just love this. Just, just think of this for a moment, like Adam made of dust, the breath of God, he's animated and he's alive. So point number two then would be this, our assignment is linked to the earth. Earth keepers, we're meant to be earth keepers. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, right after God creates human beings, he says, hey, with that breath of life, with the Imago Dei within you, I now have a very unique assignment for you because you carry something that no other animal carries. I have a responsibility for you and it's to be a steward. You're to work for me to care for this planet. So let's read the commission that God gives the newly created human beings. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So there's this uh, oversight, right? We're made like God, God oversees all, so that they may rule. Hebrew word here is radah. 
Uh, it's the same word that is used when King David is told to be king over Israel. It's not like rule with an iron fist. It is benevolent leadership. It means that you take something and you lead in a way that you make it more beautiful, that you enhance it, that you bring the inherent beauty into it, that you fix what is broken. So he looks at Adam and Eve, he says, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna work for me. That's your assignment, to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So here's this, this God who said, I made human beings, I animated them with my spirit and now I, I want there to be more of you. I want you to fill this earth. You have this assignment, but the earth is bigger than you could ever imagine. Now I want you to fill this earth. I want you to take things and actually enhance them. Just know the whole time that you work for me. So our assignment, originally our assignment is tied to being earth keepers, to being stewards for God, to work on his behalf. So a lot of times, uh, in our culture, I think we get really lost. We get disenfranchised, we're confused because we end up doing what? We, we work for a corporation or we work for a goal or we work for some multinational effort and that can feel really empty. You know why? It's because human beings were created to work for God, to be stewards, in fact, I think this is one of our most profound misunderstandings regarding marriage. Is oftentimes we come into marriage and we think, hey, the, the point of marriage is that you make me more happy, right? Your job is to make me happy. I'll try to make you happy. And then we end up saying, but we're working for these different assignments. You, you know, like the original context of marriage is this. Take two people. Your job is not to make each other happy. Your job is to serve your creator. You serve him together. You are put into your own little garden and your job is to rule over it, to make it better, to enhance it, to bring the beauty out of it, always working for the creator. Instead, we create predatory relationships where it's I need, I need comfort, I need peace, I need these things from you and that will always end up being empty. My job is to serve. So does this assignment continue? This earth keeping Assignment. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, God puts a human being in an apartment complex. He puts one of his followers in a neighborhood. He puts his follower in a classroom, in an office complex, and in a family. And he says this, here's your job. Your job is to work with me, for me, to steward the little world that I've put you in, to enhance it, to bring beauty, to increase it, to make it dynamic and different. So literally, as a follower of Jesus, like everything is different. My job is not to attain a paycheck, to work for the corporation. My job is to enter into that workplace and realize I work for God. 
And my job is to lead, to steward, to represent him, to find things that are broken and help make them better and more beautiful in the classroom, in the office complex, on the job site, at the hospital, at the clinic, wherever it might be. My job is to be a steward of what God puts into my hands. And so this like continues. Many of us, there's an aspect of we want to be earth keepers when it comes to the ground. Um, who has a beautiful lawn? Like, it's okay. Raise your hand. Yes, you did right there. Um, who has a beautiful lawn and lives next to someone who does not share your values? <laughs> this is torturous, right? You quickly rose your hand right there. Uh, we plant gardens and flowers and indoor plants. And we do it, why? Because there's still this sense in us, even though most of us are far removed in our industrialized world, we're far removed from planting food and crops, but we still, we wanna take something, you wanna take that little plant, that little pot, and you wanna make that thing grow. Nobody buys a plant to say, I wonder how quick I can kill it, right? No, no, no. Um, I don't know. I've been gardening my whole life. And since moving to Montana 11 years ago, it has pretty much been an act of futility. We live right against the rims. If you're not familiar, we got this set of rims. And I have this morning, I chased out nine turkeys from my garden. Uh, we have like hordes of deer. And I, like I've done everything I possibly can to, I, I do my own compost, all of that. I've got like, an electric fence around this garden that would just zap you just to keep the deer out. And uh, actually after last night's services, a lady came up and she said, you know what you gotta do to keep the deer out? You gotta urinate around the perimeter of your garden. <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, and no matter what I do, like my garden just never produces what I want it to. This year, it was a hailstorm. It just like destroyed the whole thing. And I go out there and I'm just like, oh. That used to be a tomato plant, right? Uh, why? Well, it's because we, we want the sense of we work for God. It could be in the arts or music, whatever it might be. Uh, my most recent thing, just this innate thing within me. We moved into a house. They built an addition in the 70s and they had a, a built-in fish aquarium. 100 gallons, this massive thing. And it's just sat empty for nine years. And uh, just this winter, I'm like, I need to raise fish. Like this is, uh, and I'm gonna focus on one type of fish. I'm gonna focus on fancy guppies. And so I get this whole thing going and, you know, buy all the equipment, fill it up. And I'm super excited. And I drop in my first fish and come back the next morning and half of them are floating. I'm like, oh, no, what happened? What happened? So I'm working with the chemicals and the pH and trying to get everything just perfect. And, and now, like, my fish are thriving. And I have my first, about a month ago, I have my first like new, I don't call it a school, litter, I don't know. I, like I had tons of little baby guppies and I was like, look at these. I came back the next day, I was gonna show my wife and they're all gone. And then I read like, guppies eat their own. Like mom and dad ate them all. I'm like, what? 
So the next time I scoop them out and now I've got like this little, it's like a guppy nursery <laughs> where they're protected. And currently I have 13 baby guppies getting big enough so that their parents can't eat them <laughs> when I release them. And my, Jenny will just laugh at me because she'll be looking for me. It's like 10 o'clock at night. And I, hey, where are you? And it's down in the basement. I'm like, I'm down in the basement. She's like, are you staring at your fish again? I'm like, yeah, I just have a chair. And I just, look at them, right? Why, why would we do that? Why do you have pets? They're a pain, right? Why? Because it's just tied to this whole thing is we want to take something and work for God and make it better, serve him, not serve ourselves. It's deep within us. So it's part of our makeup. Our first assignment had to do with the earth, which brings us to point number three. Let's talk about failure and the earth. So it's the third chapter in the Bible. We just read the first two, like human beings, you have a unique assignment. You work for me. You're my representative. You steward this earth for me. But in chapter three, all of that changes and it changes dramatically. Here's how it changes. A serpent shows up. Adam and Eve are to rule over everything that moves along the ground. And the serpent comes up. It's beast created by God, animated by the opposition to God. It begins to have a dialogue. It begins to scatter doubt and begins to plant seeds of autonomy. And maybe God isn't really good. And here's what Adam and Eve should have done. They have authority. They're called to lead this creation on behalf of the creator. Eve should have said, hey, snake, shut your trap. I am here and I work for my creator. And my creator said, this is good. And my creator gave me a role, a very important role. I represent him on planet earth. I serve him. I steward this place. But instead she listens and she forfeits her authority to the creation. And then Adam forfeits his authority to the creation. And quickly things come apart. The earth is damaged because of this. And I find it fascinating, thousands and thousands of years later, you were meant, we were meant to oversee this planet, to lead it, to subdue it, to make it more beautiful. And how many human beings on planet earth, how many of us find this? Instead of ruling over the planet, we begin to bow our knee. And it is fascinating to me that we bow our knee to the very plants that we were meant to nurture, uphold, and make better. You can bow your knee to the cocoa plant, to the marijuana plant, to the God of barley or potato or corn where I end up serving a substance, drugs and alcohol, where I was meant to oversee, I was meant to make it better. Instead, I become subservient to the very thing that God said, take care of this for me. We bow our knee, any form of alcoholism, most drugs, there are synthetics out there, but most of it is a natural substance that instead of overseeing it, we give into it. And we surrender ourselves to it. So what happens to the earth? 
Well, let's read this. We're going to read um, chapter three and chapter four of Genesis. The first one is God dialoguing with Adam about what's going to happen to the earth. The second is with his son Cain. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. So the earth must have been very, very different at one time. Because uh, you, can, you can go to North Dakota, eastern Montana, and you can find fossils of dinosaurs and orchids, right? They don't exist there anymore. But the earth is now under this curse and it's, you, you strive and you sweat. And now, Adam, the earth was so verdant originally is that food was produced for you. Now you're gonna have to work really hard to feed yourself because the earth has changed. Since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. The Lord said, this is now the next chapter. The Lord said to Cain, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Cain is in a religious battle with his brother Abel. God says Abel did the right thing. Cain's jealous, he kills his own brother. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground. This ground that you were meant to have harmony with, that you were meant to enhance and subdue, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Fascinatingly, systematically, Adam and Eve are pushed out. The ground is cursed because of them, right? They didn't, the ground didn't choose it. We chose not to exercise our authority. So Adam and Eve are pushed out of Eden. Cain, their son, when he murders his brother, the ground is cursed a second time and he's pushed even out of the edges of the garden into this land of nothingness. And from that point, futility has entered the human condition. So we got to ask this question. Why is there so much that is broken in this planet? I mean, little things like why are there mosquitoes and ticks? Anybody ever wondered that? So why are there hurricanes and hailstorms? and droughts, and famines, and malnutrition, and diseases that we cannot cure. When we backed up and let a serpent influence us, we forfeited our authority and now the ground is cursed. The ground is cursed. It doesn't mean it's evil. It just means it is broken and it is no longer functioning the way it was meant to function. So this answers that question why so many of us, so many of us, you engage with a vocation and you're initially excited about it, but you do that same thing for 10 years and you're like, how long do I have till I retire? I'm 28. Oh my goodness. Right? And it's the bureaucracy. Maybe you love the work. It's the company, it's the coworkers, it's you try so hard, I can hardly make ends meet. I feel like I'm doing something, but it has no importance, doesn't change the world. I mean, this is the plight of humanity. In particular, men, we are highly susceptible to this. We have dreams and aspirations, and we're working and sweating, and our identity becomes linked with our vocation. 
And pretty soon my vocation isn't going well, therefore my identity suffers. We're stuck in this world. This is why the earth is broken. This is why we see sickness, why you watch the news and you read about these catastrophic events. It's because of this. This is what the Bible says is the result, a cursed earth. So what do we do about that? What do we do about our futility? Well, it brings, it brings us to the next point and um, we have to be cautious about worshiping the earth. Okay, now I, I say that and you're like, what, worship the earth? Throughout the Old Testament in particular, God says this, it is extremely important that you do not worship creation because when you worship creation, you're worshiping what was made, not the creator behind it. So 10 commandments, God just starts the whole thing off by saying, don't have any other gods before me and do not, do not make a graven image of me. It is out of all the things God would say, hey, that's taboo. He goes, no like idols, no shapes. So the Hebrew people had just come out of Egypt and Egypt would have represented all of the ancient world. They have a, like a pantheon of gods. And how do they represent the gods? Well, Ra is your sun god. And so you represent him with the sun. You come to worship the sun. But then they have a god that's represented by a sphinx, by a crocodile, by a river, by a lion. And this is how the ancient world worshiped their god. They said, this animal represents our God and we worship the animal. So the people of Israel, as soon as Moses disappears and they're afraid like, oh, we don't know what happened to him. What do they say? Let's make a God of our personal convenience that we can look at and manipulate. Let's make a golden calf. Why? Because Egypt, one of their gods was represented by a cow. They didn't have enough money to make a whole cow. So let's make a calf, which I think is one of the most bizarre. Anybody who's been a part of Roundup or branding like the last thing in the world I would worship is a cow. I don't, I don't get it. So that's what they do. God is constantly saying, no, 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 you cannot worship the earth. So this is called pantheism. Pan is a Greek and Latin word for all. Theos is a word for God. So this literally means God is in all. God is in all. About a billion people on planet Earth today who would officially be pantheists is that you find God in the midst of nature. You find God in the sunset, in the tree, in the mountain range, in the prairie, that he is integrated in the world around us. And God says, this is, this is not gonna work. It's not gonna work. Um, so here's an example. When my kids, my older ones, were probably late elementary and middle school. A movie came out called Avatar. They're advertising again, because I think a new one's coming out. And um, they would come home and they're like, we're the only kids in the whole school who haven't seen Avatar. And it reminded me of Star Wars for me. In 1977, when Star Wars came out, I felt like the only child that had not seen Star Wars because my parents had some issues, okay? 
with the, you know, the force and all that. And they finally let me see it. And so I go, okay, kids, okay, I'm gonna take you to Avatar, but here's what we're gonna do. They actually had to have this lesson with me. I said, here's what you're gonna learn in Avatar. You're gonna learn that here's the earth and God is in the earth. So that's why in Avatar, you take your ponytail and you plug it in to the tree, right? Why? Because God's in creation. He's in creation, so you find him and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, like let's share some God right here, okay? So that is the thought behind it. A lot of people think this, but here's, here's what the Bible teaches. So I took my kids and I go, you cannot find God in creation. God is the creator and he has authority. He didn't create it from his own substance. He spoke it into existence. He is other than, but he is intimately involved. So you, this is why you don't worship the sunset. You look at the sunset and you go, that is so spectacular. The God who created that sunset is the one to be worshiped. When you stand in a mountain range, you're like, oh my goodness. But I'm not gonna worship the mountains, I worship the God who creates the mountains. And so over and over, we're told to be extremely cautious about looking for God in creation, that he is other than, he's involved, but he isn't in. He oversees it, he has all authority. So here's a question, because this is a question modern day people like us, we have to address. So does God care about creation? If it's cursed, right, and it's broken, what's gonna happen to this place? And should you and I care about this place? I'm not gonna talk about recycling. By the way, for those of you here in Montana, it's impossible for us to recycle. We would if we could, but we can't. Um, it's true, isn't it weird? Like, uh, so what do we do? So here's the question. I wanna ask this question. Is the earth the stage on which redemption takes place? Redemption is this renewal, what Jesus came to do. And humans are the, are the main players. Or is the earth part of the redemption story? Okay, what happens to this planet? I'm, I'm looking at some friends right now who spend their life working the earth, raising wheat for the rest of us to eat. How much does God care about that? Oh, he cares a lot. He cares a lot. In fact, the earth is cursed and it's not its fault. And as Paul's writing to his friends in Rome, he wants them to think about the earth differently. And this is what he says. This is Romans chapter eight. It's fascinating, fascinating. I consider that our present sufferings, famine, disease, earth, persecution, whatever it might be, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Go on, please. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Here's what Paul's gonna do. He's gonna use labor and delivery Greek phrases to explain where the earth is at. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated, new life will be delivered from its bondage to decay. So where we are at right now, 
drive up the Beartooth Pass and you look and there's a mountain goat and there's a glacier and there's like a jaw-dropping beauty. This is planet Earth bound to decay. The law of entropy was released into our world and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So the earth is waiting, anxious for God, not just to redeem human beings, but God cares about this place and he is going to make it new, which brings us to the last thing. So what do we do, right? Everybody has an opinion on like, what does the end of days look like? We call it the end times. There's a million perspectives. I have some, um, but I'm gonna tell you about something I know for certain, ready? We're gonna travel now to the very end of the Bible. We're gonna look at Revelation 21. And we're gonna look for this, uh, the fact that here's what you can do. You can anticipate a healed, redeemed, and renewed version 2.0 of planet Earth, right? Ready to read this together? I don't know what's going to happen next year or 10 years from now, but I know one day this is going to happen. Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now, why the sea thing? Okay, Hebrew people, (laughs) they live right next to the Mediterranean, but the Mediterranean coast was always inhabited by the Philistines who worshiped a sea god. And you will find nowhere in Jewish history did Jewish people ever embark on ships and enter into trade routes. They were terrified of the sea because that's where most of their enemies came from. So they saw the sea as like, this is where bad things come. And so when, you, when you're Hebrew and you're like, there's no more sea, they're like, yes. Like, we're good at land. We just don't like the sea. So God says, I'll take away that thing that scares you so much. Then I, uh, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So this, this new redeemed earth coming down, and it's, it's like a bride who everybody's done their best to help her look as stunning as possible. John's looking up in this vision, he goes, and the the new earth, the new city of Jerusalem that I saw, it was just stunningly beautiful. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain or hailstorms or epidemics or disease or miscarriage. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. The one who created is going to recreate. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. You can hang your hat on this. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first letter in the Greek alphabet, the last. Meaning I am, I, I do it all. I'm at the beginning and the end. And this is how it's gonna be. So here, here's, here's what you and I get to look forward to. What's gonna happen to this planet? <clears throat> One day, when Jesus comes back in his undiminished glory, it's not gonna be God within creation. It's gonna be God abiding 
and the planet that he cares about with the people that he created. And pushed out will be the curse, will be disease and famine and hurt. In fact, John says this, we won't even need artificial lights because God's going to be the light. He's going to chase every shadow away. This God who loves this world will redeem and renew this world. And he will live with his people other than distinct in authority over, but engaged with a new heaven and a new earth. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.